Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, I want to welcome you. I am so glad to see you. There's always this danger that when you have weather like this and you invite people to come to church anyway, nobody will show up. Here you are. Here you are. I told the 8 o'clock service, I said, you all are uh, honorary Marines this morning. And I almost had them all get up on the platform to take a group picture. That's how many there were of us. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to see you and uh, glad that you uh, had power, came even if you didn't have power, dodged the trees, if you had to dodge trees. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Today is a, an important Sunday, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we're here together to share in it. If you were here last week, you know that uh, we're launching a new year and launching a new series and launching a new theme uh, for this year in the life of our church. And the theme is Go, the World is Waiting. In 2019, we want to focus on understanding, living, and sharing the gospel of Jesus. Specifically, we want to share it with those people in our worlds who not only need it, but who are right now waiting for it. And so to help us focus on going with the gospel to the people around us, to those who are waiting, those who are looking for good news, we're beginning where Jesus began with his first disciples. We're looking at the necessity of seeing ourselves and others as we really are apart from Christ, of seeing human beings, all of us human beings, as Jesus sees them. To do this, we're spending time in John chapter 4 in the story of Jesus' conversation with a woman at a well. I want to invite you to return with me there to John chapter 4. You'll find John chapter 4 verses 31 to 42 on page 889 in the worship Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you or underneath you if you're on a front row. John chapter 4 verses 31 to 42. Now, before we come to the passage, I want to spend a little bit of time with you in review. I want to pull together what we saw last week so that what remains in this passage has uh, real impact for us. We examined this conversation of Jesus with this woman, and we laid down a couple of principles as we examined it. We laid down first the principle that says, if we don't love people like Jesus loves people, we won't see people as Jesus sees people. That in order to see people and not miss them in the midst of our busyness and our frenetic kind of pace of life, we've actually got to love them. And love begets seeing. But we also said, if we can't see people as Jesus sees people, we won't go when Jesus sends us to people. So love and loving people leads to seeing them, seeing them leads to going when Jesus sends. We unpacked that last week. We also laid out some other principles that I want to remind you of. We said as well, everyone around us is thirsty, spiritually thirsty, without exception. 
There is not a person in our world, nor is there a person sitting in the seat we're now presently in, who is not themselves spiritually thirsty. We said as well that everyone around us needs Jesus because He alone offers living water, the spiritual water that satisfies and ultimately gives life. We said finally that everyone around us is just like us. Apart from Christ, we're all living in a desert so thirsty for water that we're willing to drink whatever sand we can find. And we used the illustration of a person who is thirsting literally to death in a desert. They're surrounded by sand, and it is a known phenomenon that sometimes people will become so thirsty in the desert, they actually drink the sand around them. And the net result is they only get what? Thirstier. We admitted, we uh, confessed uh, that we are all thirsty, we all have places of thirst in our lives, and that we try to quench them with something, uh, relationships or fame, with success or pleasure, with uh, security or, for, or fulfillment, with significance or control or perfection or acceptance or religious practice or self-righteousness. There are all kinds of wells that we go to to try to drink from that will give us life. If I only had, then I would really live is the way we tend to think. But just as sand won't satisfy a thirsty person and only leaves them thirstier, all of these things that we go to to satisfy our lives, that we think are going to satisfy our lives, only make us thirstier, only lead us un- leave us unsatisfied. There's never enough success. There's never enough fame. There's never enough acceptance. There are never enough uh, quality relationships. There's never, ever, ever enough. They always leave us thirsty. And so we learn this from this encounter of Jesus with this Samaritan woman at this well. So Jesus shows us when he sees our world, he sees human beings that need him. He sees people who are spiritually dead now and face an eternity of of death without him. We see that and and, and we take that away from the very beginning and say, yes, when, when Christ sees us, he sees us as all, all of us, as thirsty and in desperate need. But he sees something else. And I want you to see that with me as we turn to John chapter 4. There's some other things that he sees that we need to see if we're going to see what Jesus sees when he sees people. Now, you'll remember if you were here last week, if you weren't, you might remember it anyway, but you'll remember that Jesus has met and he's entered into a conversation with, with a woman from Samaria, which means he's talking to a woman of mixed race. She's a Samaritan living in a Jewish-dominated region, uh, a place where Samaritans are despised. She's illiterate. She's at the very bottom of every measure uh, that, that we humans use to measure each other, religiously, socially, economically, morally. She's publicly despised. She's a woman without any power. There is literally nothing she can do for Jesus She's the person no one wants to be and no one wants to be with. She's an outcast among outcasts. She's the one whom everyone ignores. And she's empty inside. And Jesus, who is himself trying to escape the critical gaze of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, is slipping through Samaria on his way. uh, And uh, he's traveling through her Samaria 
And having sent his disciples into the little village of Sychar where she lives, he stays at the well and suddenly he encounters her. What's more, and this is important, he sees her. And she needs him to see her. And we find Jesus looking long enough and caring enough to see her, to see her need, and to do something about it. And though it's midday and it's hot, and Palestine is hot and arid and surrounded by desert, and though Jesus is weary and thirsty and hungry, he still sees her. He still sees her. He still sees her. So often in our frenetic life patterns, we are rushing, busy, consumed. And there are people all around us, in our lives close to us, that we never really see. This is so important. Nobody else saw her. Nobody else had time for her. Nobody else was willing to invest in her. Jesus sees her. He does something else that absolutely blows his mind, her mind. He asks for water. She can't believe it. <laughs> She knows how Jews feel about Samaritans. She also knows how Jewish men feel about women. They aren't supposed to talk to them at all. So there, there she is. She's going, oh, 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 oh. Their sexism is well known. Uh, their, their prejudices, their racial prejudices are well known. And he's asking her for water. She wants to know why. She's got some prejudices of her own. She hates Jews. She doesn't trust men. She's thinking, okay, what does he really want from me? <laughs> but it becomes very evident soon into the story that, that our way of looking at each other and evaluating each other and demeaning each other is not the way of Jesus. Jesus sees differently. And though he is hungry and though he is thirsty, his focus isn't on himself. His focus is on her. His reply to her, you see it in verse 10 in John 4, uh, to her question, why, why are you asking me for water, is as unexpected as he was there for her. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And thinking that he had some kind of magical, physical water. She, she says, give me some of this. And then she wonders, how are you going to get it and where do you get this kind of water? And Jesus says, my water isn't like the water you're thinking about. That, the water you're thinking about, you drink it, you're going to get thirsty again. But the water that I give is going to become like a spring of water welling up in a person's life and spilling over. It never runs out. Hearing that, she asked for that water. Jesus strategically pauses and he says, and this is important, go get your husband. Go get your husband. See, I suspect that this woman knew that she was thirsty for something, 
But I wonder if she knew what she was thirsty for, truly. She probably didn't get it quite. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you a water for your thirst, the, the, your real thirst. So he strategically says to her, go and get your husband. See, he knows she's got a, her place of thirst, and, and every person in this room has got a place of thirst that we use, and we say, if I just have that, I'm going to be satisfied. Her place of real deep thirst was in relationships. She didn't quite understand that yet. She hadn't quite put it all together. It was obvious to everybody else. Have you noticed how people's issues are obvious to everybody else but never to them? How many of you have noticed that? Oh, come on. How many of you have noticed that? Yeah? 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 You've noticed that? How many of you have issues? Okay. <laughs> if you're a guest today, you don't have to raise your hand. If you're not a guest, you do. Because we have admitted and confessed to ourselves as a church that we all have issues. Uh, but here she is. She, she's been drinking deeply at the well of relationships. And... Uh, so Jesus says, bring your husband. She says, I don't, have a, I don't have a husband. And Jesus gently says, you're right. You, you, don't, you don't have a husband. The fact of the matter is you've had five husbands, and the one you have now, the man you have now, you're not married to him. Your life is really, really out of whack, all messed up. You keep going to the well of relationships, and you're never satisfied. You're always thirsty. And she is absolutely astounded. She says to him, you must be a prophet. And Jesus says, oh, I'm not a prophet. I am the Christ. I'm the promised Messiah. God said would come. And this poor outcast woman is electrified by what she sees. She cannot believe it. And she's so overwhelmed by what he said about himself and what he said about her. She leaves her water jar. She leaves the whole uh, pursuit of water. And she goes, does an extraordinary thing. She rushes back to the town of Sychar to the people who hate her, despise her, and ignore her to tell them what she has found. Simultaneously, the disciples are coming and and they're shocked and stunned that he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And he's, they don't ask him. They want to. But what are you doing? What are you doing? And Jesus essentially says back to them, you've got to understand, this is my mission. This is why I came. You've got to understand that I came to meet people, to meet the needs of people at the deepest point of their greatest need. My mission, Jesus says to them, and that we see in, in verse 4 and uh, or chapters 3 and chapters 4, my position and my mission is to the rich and the powerful. My mission is to the well-positioned and, the, and uh, the famous, to the religious and the self-righteous. My mission is also to the poor. My mission is to the powerless. My mission is to the lowly. My mission is to the forgotten. My mission is to the irreligious and, and the morally messed up. I've been sent, Jesus says. You see it in verse 34. I've been sent to do the Father's will and to do the Father's work in this world. The Father didn't send me to find the perfect. The Father didn't send me to uh, condemn the messed up. He sent me to find the thirsty and to give them the only thing 
that will satisfy them myself. And here, now, we turn again to our text and uh, begin reading chapter 4, verse 35. The Scripture says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Already, even now, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I sent you to get a meal. You got a meal. Others had sown that, reaped that, and and you're benefiting from their labors. Understand, the way I've sent you is going to be the same way I'm going to send you, but on a very different kind of mission. Many Samaritans, verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony saying, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Unbelievable. And many more believed because of his word. All right, now, with this passage before us, I want to challenge every single one of us this morning to think about what we see and how we see when we see other people. Now, I want us, if, you're, if we're followers of Jesus this morning specifically, to consider how it is that Jesus sees people and what he sees when he sees people, and I want us to compare the way we look at people with the way Jesus looks at people. Absolutely critical. What do you see when you see the people in your world? Well, we've got to understand what Jesus sees in order to understand that. So we're asking this question one more time. What does Jesus see when he sees our world and the people in it? There are three steps we've identified that Jesus takes in this conversation with the woman at the well and with his disciples. And it shows us just how it is that he trained his first disciples to see the people in their worlds. He first challenges the old view of life and people, the way we measure people and judge people based upon what they have, don't have, where they've been, you know, where they're going. He offers instead a new, bigger view of life and people. And then finally, he insists on a hope-filled view of life and people for his people. And we've looked at the first one last week, and we want to look at the second one and third one today. We want to see how it is that Jesus offers a replacement for the old view and offers us a new and bigger view. Look at verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest already. Even now, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here, the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. So what John is doing here is he's showing us Jesus' explanation of what his mission means for the disciples' mission. He begins by stating the obvious so that they might see what is not so obvious. There are still four months, he says, to harvest at Palestine. Four months, you know this. But there is, he is saying also, a greater harvest. 
that you're not seeing, a harvest that is ready, a harvest that is waiting now. Look, he says, verse 35, lift up your eyes. See the fields are white unto harvest. Can you see what I see? There's a physical harvest to be sure, but there's a spiritual harvest as well. What does Jesus see? Look at verse 30. John is reporting that while all of this is going on, the townspeople went out from the town and were coming to him, only a half mile between the well and, and the uh, village. Powerful picture. It was common for that day, in that day for people to wear white as a way of managing heat. He's saying, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are what? Are what? What? White. In this dramatic picture, here comes this crowd pouring out of the village toward Jesus. Look, do you see what I see? I've been the sower. I'm now inviting you to see the fruit of my sowing. I want you to watch me as I reap, and in this sowing and reaping of the good news of of why I've come, both now and and, and what I'm going to do in the future, I want you to see right now, reapers are, are gathering wages for eternal life. So Jesus is saying to his disciples something powerful. What I've been sent to do, I'm sending you to do as well. But if you're going to go, as I'm sending you, you've got to stop seeing people in the old ways and begin to see them in this new and bigger way. Begin to see people as they really are. All of them are thirsty, and some of them are ready and waiting for something different to drink. Jesus sees all people as having a, a real need. Uh, they need him because of their great thirst. But at the same time, he sees all people as having a real opportunity to be brought to him, to be brought to him, brought to faith in him, to find eternal life, to be given this living water that they're so thirsty for. And Jesus is showing us, watch now, no one is too high, no one is too low, and no one is too far gone. No one is too high, Nicodemus, rich, powerful, in the inside of the inside. No one is too low, Samaritan woman poor outcast. No one is too far gone. That they cannot find new life. Now, I want to pause and I want to ask you some very hard questions. You say, I've gone to all this trouble today, drive all through this terrible snowstorm and dodging all these trees and slipping and sliding and to get here. And he's, you're going to ask me, tell, me, tell me something good. Well, I'll get to that. Just wait. But I have some hard questions. You're here. You might as well stay and, and lean into them. Here they go. Are you ready? Who in your life If you're a follower of Jesus, let me speak to you just a moment. Who in your life is too high for the gospel to reach? They're too wealthy. They're too accomplished. They're too self-secure. They're so high that you've decided on your own the gospel can't reach them. Maybe what you've decided is they're, they're so successful, so high, so, so self-satisfied or whatever that you've got to wait until they're bankrupt before you can share the gospel. 
you've got to wait until they have cancer before you can share the gospel. You've you got to wait until they face something they can't overcome with their money, their accomplishment, their skill, their ability. Somebody in your life is too high and you've never shared the gospel. Maybe you're afraid of them. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're afraid of their money, their success, their accomplishments. I don't know. But you haven't shared the gospel with them. In fact, it's never dawned on you to share the gospel with them because you've decided they don't really need Jesus. Or at least you've decided, they've decided they don't really need Jesus. So you've never, ever really seen them as thirsty. You've got a Nicodemus in your life, but you've never seen them as thirsty. Jesus says they're all thirsty. They're all thirsty. Warren Buffett is thirsty. Who's that awful guy on uh, Shark Tank? The bald guy is always, you know what I'm talking about? Don't have a clue. Loves money. Lives for money. Some of you know, well, great illustration, Quartz. Great, good choice. Good choice. Well, there's one guy. He just, he just absolutely, he loves it because it has no feelings like him. He's, he, you know, we become like what we worship. Boy, he is just like heart. I don't know why all that matters except to say that some people are thirsty for money. And that some of the most successful people. Who in your life is too low for you to spend time with for the sake of the gospel? You blow by them because they don't really matter. They have nothing they can give you, nothing they can do for you. They might even want something from you, and you kind of blow them off and push them away. Who's your woman at the well whose life is messed up, and you're looking at them and saying, there's no way. That life is ever going to be put back together. Literally, that's what you're thinking, though you may not say it. The truth is you've given up on them as well, and you've said the gospel can't reach them. And whose life is so far gone, you said the same thing. Who in your life has been too high, too low, too messed up for you to share the gospel with. You see, Jesus, he does something absolutely uh, uh, we, we, we must not ignore. He, he, he's saying to us, every single person in our world deserves the chance to hear why they're thirsty and how their thirst can be satisfied. And so for this reason, Jesus finally insists on a hope-filled view of life and people. John reports in verses 39 to 42, many Samaritans, not all, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, verse 42, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. John closes his story of Jesus in Sychar with what the disciples do finally see. And what they see finally, they never expected. They see Jesus, see and reach out to an outcast, outcast. They see Jesus reaching out to a people who hated Jews and to a people Jews hated. They see that those who they thought were beyond the reach of God's salvation, beyond God's reach, are actually people that God reaches out to and that God 
actually reaches. What a powerful lesson this is for us on so many levels. An outcast who first sees Jesus as a prophet and then as more than a prophet, the Messiah, and finds hope, she goes to other outcasts who she knows need what she's found. And she says to them, come see a man who's, who, who, who knows everything I've ever done. Couldn't this be the Christ, the Messiah? Out of that town flow a field of people who are surprisingly ready. The people who have been waiting, watch now, more than they've been hating. The, the disciples had just bought food from these same people. But they never saw them as anything but Samaritans. People who hated them and people they hated. But they're discovering that the same hope they're discovering in Jesus, these hopeless people could and would also discover. Why? Because the great sower of good news, the great reaper of new lives had come to all of them, not just some of them, not just to the Jews, not just to the Samaritans, not just to the middle class, not just to the white, not just to Hispanics, not just to blacks. And they all came to see him as he really is, the Savior of the world. When Jesus saw people, he saw people as thirsty in need of help, in need of the good news of God's truth and grace of a living water come to save. They saw the impossible become possible. They saw broken lives changed. And so the announcement of the risen Jesus given later to these same disciples and given to believers today is very, very appropriate. Jesus says, everything you've seen, everything you've seen me do, everything you've seen me see, every person you've seen me love and see and go to, in the same way that the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And this is what that means. I'm sending you on a mission to really see people, to see people as they really are, to meet them at the deepest point of their greatest need. Your mission is to the rich. Your mission is to the powerful. Your mission is to the well-positioned, and your mission is to the famous, the religious, and the self-righteous. Your mission is to the poor and the powerless. Your mission is to the lowly and the forgotten. Your mission is to the irreligious and the morally messed up. You've been sent to do the Father's will and to do the Father's work. I'm not sending you to find the perfect. I'm not sending you to condemn the messed up. God, help us. For deciding who is perfect and who deserves our time and the witness of the gospel, God, help us. When we make it our responsibility to condemn the messed up.
God help us to remember at the end of the day we're all messed up somewhere. No one's too high. No one's too low. No one's too messed up. And we're all thirsty. Everyone in your world, thirsty. And so Jesus says, I'm sending you to find the thirsty, to see the thirsty, love the thirsty, and give them the only thing that's going to satisfy their need, myself. And I hear Jesus saying, go. The world is waiting. So what does Jesus see when he sees our world and the people in it? Well, another thing that he sees is this. Jesus sees a world, all kinds of people, thirsty people who are waiting, not hating. They're waiting. There is a group of people who are waiting more than they're hating the gospel and Christ. Now, let me just pause and talk to you just a minute. There are a lot of us followers of Jesus, and we don't share the gospel because we've already assumed that everybody in our culture here hates Christ, hates the gospel, nobody will say yes. That if you're going to win anybody to Jesus, you've got to go to Myanmar. That Nicodemus is helpless, and the women at the well here are all helpless. They're all ruined. Everybody hates us. Nobody's waiting. Everybody's hating. If I share the gospel, I'm going to be rejected. Nobody's ready to receive it. Nobody receives it anymore. Jesus calls that a lie. He said the fields are white now unto harvest. Now unto harvest. Now unto harvest. What is he saying? Even among the hating Samaritans, there are still some who are waiting more than they're hating, waiting for somebody to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with them. Waiting, waiting for someone to show them what the gospel does and share the gospel. Waiting, waiting, waiting. There are people right now waiting in Clemens, waiting in Louisville, waiting in Sherwood Forest, waiting at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center University, whatever all that is. There are people waiting, waiting where you work, waiting in your family, waiting in in your running group, waiting with your golf buddies, waiting. They're thirsty and they're waiting. There are customers that you have that are waiting, clients that you have that are waiting, 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 not hating. They may be ornery. Look, if they're lost, they're going to act lost. But they're waiting and they're thirsty. is why I like to remind you over and over again, somebody near you really, really needs you to love them enough to see them.
go to them. To show them the good news and to share the good news. Every believer in this room has somebody who is waiting. Not hating. So Jesus shows us that the call to follow him includes a call to see the world as he sees it. To join him in the work that God's given him in this world. And he tells us to do so. We've got to get free. We've got to stop evaluating and judging people and and imagining their worth. And we've got to adopt this view that Jesus sees, a, a view of thirsty people who have a great opportunity and a real potential to have their lives changed. Jesus sees all kinds of thirsty people waiting, not hating waiting for a chance to come to faith in the one who satisfies. Do you see the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the Hispanic, the Asian? Do you, do you see those who are needy? Do you see those who are needy but don't know it? Do you, do you see the waiting? Do you see the thirsty ready for a chance to say yes to Christ that God's put around you? Fields are white. Fields are white. Let's call it a lie. Not everybody in our world is hating. There are a lot of people in our world waiting. See, I have this terrible, terrible fear of standing before God and of us standing before God going, God, I had my Fridays down really well. Got off work at six. I got straight to the grocery store. I got my shopping done by uh, 7.30. I got home. I got it unloaded. I got Papa John's ordered. I got the TV on. I got the kids fed. I got the kids to bed. And finally, about 10 o'clock, I had time to myself, and I crashed, and I was in bed at 11. I had Fridays down. I had them down. I got it down. The rest of the week, I'm pushing hard, and you know, Lord, I made money, and I, and, I, and I accomplished some things for my family. My family never went hungry, and that's my life. And I worked in some, some running with my running club. I stayed in good shape. You know, I have to be a good steward of my body. I lived in the same neighborhood and, and uh, didn't move around a lot. And I, I was a good steward of resources. Okay. But um, did you ever notice that cashier at, at Lowe's Foods that, that tended to serve you pretty often? Did you ever see her? You know, I had some uh, lost people right there in your neighborhood. Did you ever see them? I mean, did you even know them? 
You, you were in that running group. Do, do, you remember, do you remember Eric in your running group? I, I, I had him in your group for a reason. But he was so successful, you never saw him. You thought he was doing fine. His world was coming apart. He was drinking all this sand. In your lifetime, you worked with 400 people. A whole lot of them were thirsty. They knew you were a moral person, but they never knew you were mine. But I had that Papa John's order. Yeah, and, and, and you had the same delivery guy. But Lord, you just don't understand how hectic everything is. Somebody near you needs you to love them, to see them, to actually go to them, invest in them, let them see your life and the gospel of Christ shining through it. And they need you to tell them the bad news, the good news, and the best news. The bad news is we're all broken, we're all sinners, and fall short of the glory of God. The good news is, but God, gave to us the gift of His Son. dying in our place, taking our sin on himself so that we could be set free of our sin, forgiven, brought back into a relationship with God and have a living water, a new life, a new heart, a fresh start that satisfies. The best news is that gift is really a gift. It comes by wholehearted faith in Jesus and repentance from sin, turning away. It's about that simple. Now, Jesus took a little different tack with Nicodemus. If you look at chapter 3, then he took with the woman at the well because they had different wells they were drinking from. He's the answer to the thirst they have, but he just takes a little different track to get that rich Nicodemus drinking at the well of self-righteousness and power to himself. You've got to be born again. Well, I can't do that exactly. <laughs> Jesus is always strategic. Exactly. Of course you can. Well, then what can I do? Nothing. It's exactly what Nicodemus needed to hear. The woman at the well, chugging down sand in terms of relationships. <laughs> 
men aren't going to do it, ma'am. You've been at five, you're at number six. It's not working. The relationship you need is with someone who gives living water. You need a savior. You don't need another husband. Well, maybe she did. She should have married the sixth guy and just stopped. Am I right or? Oh, come on. Am I right? You don't know. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you the answer. Yes, she should have married the guy and just stopped. Stop marrying men. Men aren't worth marrying, are they, ladies? Oh, goodness, you're a tough group. What if this year, what if this year you committed to pray, asking God to show you the fields around you, to show you both, watch now, the gospel opportunities and to show you the gospel possibilities in the lives of people near you? What if this year you committed to pray, asking God to show you the fields? What if this year you began to look for the thirsty and the waiting around you and for ways to share the gospel as the answer to their thirst? What if when he shows you your Nicodemus, you begin to think through how to share the gospel with the Nicodemus? And when he shows you your woman at the well, you're, you're thinking through how to share with the woman at the well. What if this year you began to look for the thirsty and the waiting and ways to share the gospel as the answer. What if this year you began to understand and learn how to share the bad news, the good news, and the best news of the gospel so that when you see the thirsty and the waiting, you're ready? Good news is, in uh, just a couple of weeks, every single one of our life groups is going to begin going through uh, what we're going to call evangelism training. We're going to learn the bad news, we're going to learn the good news, and we're going to learn the best news, and we're going to learn how to share it. If you're not in a, uh, if you're not in a uh, life group, uh, I want to encourage you to check them out. Maybe you'll just find one and try it for seven weeks. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your mission, rich, poor, black, white. Somebody's looking for you. All right. I want you to notice this. This is our new icon for 2019. I really, really like it. Can I explain it to you? Thank you. I've got time. Here's our Center Grove logo. You see the green delta there. The Center Green logo and delta is going into the world that is waiting. Christ is our message. Do you see all these little deltas? Do you know what they're doing? What are they doing? They're going. How many little deltas do we have here today? How many big deltas do we have here today? I'll let you self-select. But I want you to remember, Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us a good life and a happy home. Does he give us a good life and a happy home? He will if we follow him, but that wasn't the point of his coming. He came because he loved us to save us. When he saved us, he gave us a mission, and he said, go. Because there are a lot of people who are like you and not like you who are just waiting for somebody to show them and to share with them the gospel. All right, all right, all right. 
I gave you one of these last week, and I knew some of you, a few of you would forget them and forget to bring them back, so I gave you a second one. And uh, I want to ask you to take that out right now, and as we close, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask the question, who, who in your life is thirsty and waiting in your family? Who in your life is thirsty and waiting among your friends and your acquaintances? Who in your life is thirsty and waiting? They're, they're, they're different from you culturally, but they are in your world and they are thirsty and waiting. Who in your life is a coworker, thirsty and waiting? In one of your social groups, your, your, your group of golfing buddies, your, your running club, whatever. Who are among your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Who is it, with the H being your home in the middle, who, who is it that lives around you, right across the street, right behind if you live in a neighborhood, right on each side? Who is it that God has put into your life? Now, can I give you some really, really hard news? The really, really hard news is that now that you've heard this and received this, you're going to be held at a high level of accountability. God's going to say, what did you do with this? But here's the reality. One day, he's going to ask us the same thing, whether we have a card or not. He's going to ask us about Eric. He's going to ask us about our coworkers. He's going to ask us about our neighbors. He's going to ask us about our family. He's going to ask us about those whom we run with and play with. He's going to ask us about our friends. And he's going to want to know, did you fulfill your mission? Did you go? And I had a whole world of people who were just Who's on your card? I want to invite you to stand your feet all across the room, all across the room. As you come this morning, as we come together to this uh, close, it's an interesting uh, invitation choice for us today because it is really the call of the soul winner. It is the call of Jesus. It is the call of the soul winner. It is the call of the witness. It is the call of God to the world. I'm wondering this morning if you're a follower of Jesus, who is it that God's putting on your heart that you need really and truly to love and that you've not been loving? Maybe your prayer is, God, I'm just admitting, I don't love him. I don't love her enough to see them. And that's my problem. And maybe that's where you start. Maybe somebody else in this room says, yeah, I love them, but I've been so busy. I haven't really seen this friend, this family member. I haven't really seen this coworker who I know needs the gospel. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've 
loved them and you've seen them, but maybe, maybe you've heard God's call to go, but you've been really, really hesitant because you thought they were hating more than they were waiting. And today, you, you, you just say, I, I hear the go and I've, I've got to say yes. I've got to learn how to do it. I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to go because I want to help. I want to help them find the healing that Christ gives. Maybe God's put someone specifically on your heart. I don't know. He probably has. Here's what I want to invite you to do. We're not packed out like we normally are, so you've got lots of room. You've got lots of space. So here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you to come forward. God's been speaking to your heart. Maybe you need to come to him and say, Lord, give me greater love. Maybe you need to come to him and say, God, give me greater sight. Maybe you need to come to him and say, God, give me courage to go. Or maybe you just need to bring that down and out son of yours that you've given up on and you just need to lay him on the altar one more time and say, God, here is my son, here is my brother, here is my friend, here is this person I've been ignoring, here is this person I thought was too high for the gospel. You've put them in my life. I know there's a reason. And I'm saying, here they are, Lord. Use me to reach them for Christ. I want to invite you to come. Kneel down if you can't kneel. Your place is on the front row. I invite you to come as we sing. And if today the bad news that I've shared, the good news and the best news is news that you need, I tell you what, I'll be right here. You come see me. You come see me. And let me help you find your way to him who is living water. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.